0: This episode of Let's Think on It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. Welcome back to O Brother Radio and Will Akami. He is Reed Lockamy, that's Dr. Mark Westfall over there. This hour of O Brother Radio is brought to you by Good People Brewing Company, Good People Brewing, the most aptly named business in Birmingham. Uh, we're honored to be joined by Birmingham police chief AC Roper of course formerly the assistant chief at Hoover great experience all around you can check out this entire show at just or sorry let's think on it on iTunes by the way yep yeah and by the way I'll build a plug I've got a website now it may make it
1: a little easier to find it let think on it and it can hook in from there too so excellent good so um back with chief Roper you know let's just cut to the chase of what's going on now. Um, what is your view of what's happening currently in our country in the relationships between police departments and minorities, specifically black lives?
2: Well I think we're really living some of the most challenging times that I've seen in regards to race relations and in police work right now, because uh, I've only been doing this for about 31 years now, and uh, I'm sure back in 63, 64, 62, back then, it may have been even more challenging, but now we have something we didn't have back then, and that's the immediacy of social media. So now something can happen in a Ferguson, Missouri, which before August 2014, very few people knew where it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been there twice now, and because when you fly into the St. Louis airport, you're two exits from Ferguson. Yeah. Hmm. But prior to August 2014, no one had ever heard of Ferguson, Missouri, but now when you say the word Ferguson, people have an image uh, of that city and, and, and of that police department. So because of social media has flattened the world, now we're seeing these incidents that have occurred even before now. You're seeing them over and over, 24 uh, hour news cycle, and so I think that's added an extra intensity uh, to, what, to what we're witnessing. And, uh, and so our police departments are, are under the microscope, and I, I just think we ought to be because there are some things we haven't done as well as we ought to <coughs> as a profession. And so now with great challenges come great opportunities, and I'm, uh, and I'm thrilled to say that we have some thinking police chiefs out there who are taking this challenge on head on.
3: There is, I don't know if any of you have heard, but uh, NPR produces a podcast called Code Switch, and it is fantastic. It's just about race relations. And there was a a wonderful episode uh, from July just a couple of months ago called uh, Black and Blue, and it's specifically about the issue between Black Lives Matter and police departments. And, Chief Roper, I'd be curious to see what your response is. You know, to people who have the idea that the police taken as a, a large group in our country or as departments tend to act in racist ways, even when you have departments, you know, where there are plenty of black officers, where there's a, a black chief, but what do you say about the idea that there's a culture of policing in our country that that tends to unfairly treat black citizens?
2: See, I'm, I'm of the mindset that it's not a widespread issue. I think just like in every profession, There are some who don't live up to the code and the values of the organization. But I think we as law enforcement leaders have to do a better job of making sure that we we get those people identified and either through training, closer supervision or discipline, take the corrective actions. And for those who need to be separated from the force, they need to be separated from the force. And and, and I, I was sharing this with some officers the other day. I said, you know, part of this we're responsible for who's we We as as, as police officers because every time you've, we've done an investigation and someone's and an officer said I didn't see what happened but you really did mm-hmm. you helped contribute to mm-hmm. this current state of, uh, of, uh, of affairs that we're facing. And so we need officers to stand up and make sure that we don't allow anyone to taint the badge and and taint the uniform. Some of it is blown out of proportion from the standpoint uh, there's about 900,000 police officers of different levels working in the U.S. today. And if 10% was crooked, we'd have thousands of tapes every day because everyone's walking around with a cell phone. We have homeless people in Birmingham with cell phones because I talk to them and they charge them up at the library and those kinds of things. So everyone's walking around with with a video camera. Mm -hmm. So if it was a major, major, widespread issue, we'd have thousands of tapes every day, and we don't have thousands of tapes every day. That's a great point. The tapes we do have are troubling, but there's not thousands every day. And so we have a lot of people doing the right thing.
0: I find myself generally trusting. I mean, I guess, humans in general, but especially a police force. Reed and I had some family members in the police force. I have four or five close friends of mine that work for the Birmingham Police Department. I just generally find myself trusting the police. When these situations come up, these national situations, my first inkling is to trust the police officer. Now, there are two of the incidents that happened not too long ago, it was like, oh, wait a minute. Now hang on. <laughs> that's, that's actually not a situation where I can trust the police officer right. in this. So those are the some of the first ones that came to my attention, I was like, oh, oh no, we act. this is a problem that maybe I should be paying more attention to. Is there is there a move now to de-escalate situations without the use of a gun?
2: There is, and, and I will say this, most citizens are willing to give the police officer the benefit of the doubt in an, a violent, quickly evolving, split-second decision-type situation. You go, you know what, the officer had to make a split second decision, and that's what he or she chose. I can see why they did that. But some of the tapes, like you say, some of them make you go, wait a minute now, that's not how we, how we train. And, and let me say this uh, as a plug for Birmingham. We were the first national accredited police department in the state of Alabama. We just received our ninth national accreditation a couple of months ago. So when it comes to policies and those types of things, we're on the cutting edge. And so when we look at some of these situations that have occurred in in other cities, you think, okay, now what's going on there? And so here's what I shared with with our officers uh, and and with our supervisors just recently. Time, distance, and cover. We've got to make sure we're doing things tactically and try to do everything we can where we avoid the split-second situation. Now, sometimes you don't have a choice, but some of the tapes we've seen recently, if officers use time, distance, and cover to slow it down, so we can make good decisions. And when I have more time, I can make a better decision. When I have more distance, I can make a better decision. And when I have cover, cause I don't have to worry about somebody shooting me right now, I'm behind cover, and we can get back up there and do all the things we need to do. Sometimes we rush right in, and when we rush right in, we limit our options. And then we start seeing tapes that make you go, you know what, now what really happened there? That doesn't look good. And so, and so most officers are doing the right things, but we're having to go back and make sure we're doing the training that we need to do uh, across the nation, and, uh, and and we've been a part in, we've had a part in developing some of that.
3: I, you know, Will mentioned something, and I, I agree with Will. He and I grew up feeling very comfortable with police. Uh, you know, when I see police officers, I view them as my friend, and that person's gonna help me, and. But I wonder sometimes, and I'd be curious to get your opinion on this, especially because you've worked, like you said, you've started at the bottom in departments. You've worked beats and interacted with people. Do Will and I, or white people in general, take for granted, you know, that, oh, we got a friendly relationship, we trust you. I, you know, I'd like to know what your thoughts are when it comes to the black community. Do members of that community feel the same way? And I wonder if it doesn't change some of these interactions and the escalation when you start off with the person who's being pulled over having a feeling of, this is not safe for me.
2: Well, I would say this: in some of our most challenged communities, they don't feel that sense of safety and that sense of trust yeah. when they see a police officer. And, and the history of police and and African Americans or Black people in this nation is a bad history. Right. It's just a bad right. history. There's no it way. It does to, not look good. It does not <laughs> look good all the way back from how some quasi police forces started. I mean, they they weren't called police, but they were put together to go catch runaway slaves and so so all the way from that to where we are now the history has not been good and then the police department is the most visible part of city government so and we're the most visible part of the criminal justice system so that means even when there's bad law and bad policy which we had nothing to do with we're the face Mm -hmm. of it and you have to enforce it yes so let's take three strikes around we didn't pass that but when we go in but the you house get and, the yes, from we it. arrest dad and, and now dad goes to prison for 50 right, years because he stole it. a bicycle. So we're an active part of that system right, no. uh, or the, the crack disparity laws. We didn't pass those laws, but we're the ones out there making the, the arrests, And now this person gets 50 years uh, of prison time for X number of rocks. But this other person gets two years for way more powder cocaine. Right. And and people look at that and yeah. go, What's going there's on a, with so, this? There's system? a disparity in yeah, the Yeah, so 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 we we have gotten some blame because of laws and policies that we didn't establish. Right. So you know,
1: going back to your childhood and then moving forward. I mean you you said you grew up on quote the wrong side of the tracks. You had a mom who sounds like she was a firm mom. <laughs>
2: He's, he's shaking his head in yeah. an
1: affirmation. So, can't, so, can't see that on the radio. Yeah, yeah, i was just letting you know. It's he's he's smiling and and, and yeah. s- Is she still living, by the way?
2: No, she she's passed away. Oh, sorry. Uh, and she would be so proud today. Mm. Of, I bet. Of, did of, she of see you done. in
1: the chief role? Was she? she right?
2: No, she did not see me in this role. She saw me as a police officer. And when she passed away, I was a uh, sergeant. Gotcha. I was a sergeant. So we've come a long way since then, and. But she saw it in us, and she always encouraged us, and, and, and so way, anyway, she'd yeah. be proud. So as an African-American
1: who grew up in Birmingham, as you say, the wrong side of the tracks, how are we coming along as a city and as a nation in dealing with many of the issues that African-Americans face, who live on the wrong side of the tracks, lower income, don't have the chances that, that we sitting here do, how do you think we're doing with that? How are we, you know, give me a your, your just personal opinion on how things are progressing.
2: I, I would say we're not doing well. Uh, even in the economic recovery, opportunities look different depending on where you're standing. Mm-hmm. And so where some segments of society have recovered and are, they're moving along, in some of our most challenged communities, we don't see that. Uh, and, and I'm a chief that, I spend a lot of time in the office because I have to, but boy when I can get out of that office we'll just ride and i go walk a neighborhood. And uh, and I've gone in the neighborhoods where I just see young men who are hopeless. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and some of it you can say, well they made bad decisions. Well, sometimes that's true, but other times it's the environment and the fact that they were born in the situations that they didn't get a fair shot.
1: There's a there's a phenomenon called learned helplessness in psych- psychology. So essentially, um, they did experiments on on rats and put them essentially on a grid where they shock them and then they have a route to escape, um, and to try to train them to do something. So that you know, well, when they prevent the escape and they give them shocks periodically, initially the mouse, the rat or mouse tries to escape over time, once he learns he can't escape, they stop. They just they sit there and they look forlorn, depressed, unmotivated, even when they're not getting shocked. They sit there waiting on the next shock. They've lost all incentive. And so it's a phenomenon we call learned helplessness. When you come up against something, when everything looks totally impossible to surmount, you lose that innate drive to survive. And so it, that that just hit me when you said that you are seeing these people who like they just like you know, they feel like they don't have any hope because th- the hurdle is so high. It's like, well, I can't make it. Well, I've the tried idea, I you can't said make
3: it. something interesting also about, well, maybe they've made bad decisions. Well, when someone makes a decision, we're assuming they had several factor or options to choose from. Sometimes you almost can't make a good decision if your options are so limited that every choice is a bad decision.
2: You, you all are absolutely yeah. right. And, and one, one initiative that we're doing in our violence reduction uh, initiative that we have going now. What's it called? Violence reduction initiative. Okay. And so it's patterned after some work that was done by John Jay College and David Kennedy and that group. But one of the keys in it is not just the enforcement, there's also a, a social service piece so we're helping young men who have this sense of hopelessness, who have been arrested, who, who have fines, their driver's license suspended. They're just in this vicious cycle where they can't get out. We're, we're helping them with our social service partners to get rid of the fines, attend counseling, trying to help them get jobs. And here's the interesting part. We have about 60 young men who have taken us up on our offer and not a single one has been re-arrested. Yeah since wow. we started the program. Not a that's single awesome. one. And so, so there's some hope in that because we tell them, if you continue to live in this lifestyle, you're going to die or you're going to go to prison. Or, or we're coming after you, because we can't let you keep terrorizing our neighborhoods. But here's some help. If you like it, the choice is yours. Mm-hmm. But you won't be able to say, it, we didn't give you a shot. We didn't give you a fair chance. Yeah. And some turn us down. Well, okay, that's on you. But for those who have said, you know what, I'm ready to change my life, and their families are just ecstatic. Yeah. Especially when I knock on the door, because we're coming to find this young man to offer him help. Yeah. And it's like, while it's the hope. chief of police is standing in my living room. I see you on TV, you're mm-hmm. standing in my right. living room. Well, I'm standing here because we want to help you with little Johnny here, because little Johnny is making bad decisions. You know it and I know it. And we've had about 60 to take us out. That's a good
3: reason well, to have the chief of police visit your house. Yeah, that would be that a good reason. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, hope, as you describe, I mean, hope in, in my world is a great antidepressant. When you give someone hope, you, you change their mood, you change their drive. That learned helplessness we talked about turns into hopefulness and you regain your desire
0: to, to pursue things uh, greater than where you are. We are talking to psychiatrist Dr. Mark Westfall and Chief of Police for Birmingham, Alabama, A.C. Roper. Let's take a quick break, continue the discussion on the other side. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio, 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter at Lockamy Brothers.